0: Hello, and welcome to the RCC Weekly Sermon Podcast. This week, Pastor Kenny taught from Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. Because of God's grace, believers should be both the most humble people and the most confident people on the planet. Morning, Remembrance Community Church. If you have your Bibles, you can open up to Matthew chapter 20. That's where we're going to be at today. Um, We're continuing on in our series called, I Have Decided. Um, where we have decided to follow Jesus and we want to just explore more about what that looks like to, to do what we call being disciples. Because our mission statement is that we want to passionately point people to Jesus and we want to learn and teach uh, each other to be disciples of Jesus and to make disciples of Jesus. So in this series, we're looking at what does it look like to be a disciple? what does it look like to be people who have decided to follow this Jesus? And that means they've decided that they're not going to follow all the other paths that they could possibly follow. And they're going to follow this Jesus. And in Matthew chapter 20, I have an interesting uh, teaching from Jesus. It's actually a teachable moment. If you're parents, you probably understand what that is. Like, it's not a, a, a lesson that you that you, you, you planned out to teach your kid, but in the moment, a teaching opportunity comes up, and Jesus has one of those uh, today. But before we jump into this teaching in Matthew 20, how many of you guys watch the news ever? It can be discouraging. I, I, try to, I try to avoid it usually. But the other day, I, I stumbled upon a story. And you guys might have seen this one. And it was a story where this mother of a teenage daughter went to her school class. And her daughter was getting bullied. And she confronted the bullies right there in the middle of the class. She showed up unannounced and confronted the bullies in her mother's class, I mean, in her daughter's class. And I don't know, I mean, what do you guys think about that? I was trying to think, like, what if my mom showed up to my high school <laughs> class? Like, how would that, would that really help? Um, and then they were interviewing some of the people, and a lot of the teacher. teachers, uh, uh, she was pretty, I mean, she was, it's kind of not, not PR, right? It's not, it's not the right thing to do to, for an adult to confront children, right? That's the way we typically, I would think, would think. And, and yet, so they were asking, like, how do we feel about this? And a lot, of the, a lot of the parents at that school actually were saying, we think that we commend her for that because there is a bullying problem at this school. And another uh, mom who was, who was interviewed said, yeah, I, I, I get the intention. I don't think that she went about it the right way. But I, but I mean, I think about that like, isn't it nice to have people who will stand up for you? Yeah. If you're getting bullied, it must feel good to have a, a parent who, who will stand up for you. Well, in today's story, it's interesting that, that Jesus is, is at the end of his two and a half to three and a half year uh, ministry. We know that he ends his earthly ministry in Jerusalem during the Passover feast, which is a week long uh, a feast. Um, he's normally in around the Sea of Galilee, which is about 80 miles north of Jerusalem, and that's where his kind of people are at—his 12 disciples specifically, and, and and a group of others who followed Jesus pretty much everywhere that he went. And they're all walking together this 80-mile journey, which is very normal if you're Jewish. This pilgrimage from Galilee to to Jerusalem during the feast during the holiday called Passover. And Jesus and his posse are walking this long journey, and a lot happens along the way. A lot of the things that we see at the end of all of the Gospels, a lot of those things take place on this long 80-mile walk. I mean, imagine you're like at Orange County Airport, and you're walking with your homies to uh, the Tijuana border. That's about an 80-mile walk. That's a long walk. Right? So it took him a while, and there was a lot that happened. And, 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 and along the way, one of the two of the disciples that are brothers, their mother, goes up to Jesus and asks him for a favor for the sons." And so we see that in, in Matthew chapter 20, verses 20 through 28. and it says, "Then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached Jesus. Uh, with her sons. Her sons are there, and here's the thing. The, uh, Zebedee is found earlier in the gospel, and basically we have uh, along the, the, the Sea of Galilee, specifically in the city of Capernaum, uh, there's a couple of fishing businesses, and Peter and Andrew, his brother, had a small fishing business, and Zebedee had probably, probably the biggest fishing business in the area, and he had two sons named John and James. And Jesus, in fact, had had come up to Peter and Andrew and said, follow me. And then he went over to the sons of Zebedee, John and James. He said, follow me. And they followed him. And so that's who they're talking about, John and James, the sons of Zebedee. And Zebedee's probably at home, maybe taking care of the fishing business, the dad. But mom and the boys are walking with Jesus. It says, then the mother of Zebedee's sons approached Jesus with her sons. She knelt down to ask him for something. What do you want? Jesus asked her. Promise, she said to him, that these two sons of mine may sit one on your right and the other on your left in your kingdom. And Jesus answered, you don't know what you're asking. Are you able to drink? Now he's looking at the boys. Are you able to drink the cup that I am about to drink? We are able, they said to him. He told them, you will indeed drink my cup. But to sit at my right and left is not mine to give. Instead, it is for those for whom it has been prepared by my Father. And when the, when the ten disciples heard this, right? What's twelve minus two? There's right? two brothers that are involved, the other ten. The other ten. He says, when the ten disciples heard this, they became indignant with the two brothers. Jesus called them over and said, now it's a teachable moment. You know that the rulers of the Gentiles lord it over them, and those in high positions act as tyrants over them. It must not be like that among you. On the contrary, whoever wants to become great among you must be your servant, and whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom for many, it's a great story. And here's a couple of other things that I want to kind of unpack is we want to be good Bible students. And if you want to be a good Bible student, you need to look at the context of every uh, a passage and it helps you understand some things. So we clearly see that Jesus is walking with his 12 and some others, at least this, this woman who's named as uh, James and John's mom, Right? Uh, and they're walking this 80 miles to Jerusalem uh, for the Passover feast. Uh, Jesus says a lot on this journey. One of the things he says, which kind of gives some context, you have to know is uh, on, verse, uh, uh, on chapter 19, just right before this, in verse 28, says, They're walking, and Jesus said to them, All of these listening, Zebedee's mom, uh, Zebedee's wife, I mean, and, and, and their sons, and all the others, they were all listening to Jesus. And Jesus said to them, Truly I tell you, in the renewal of all things, when the Son of Man sits on his glorious throne, you who have followed me will also sit on twelve thrones, judging the twelve tribes of Israel. So it was already in their head that when the kingdom finally arrives, when, when Jesus accomplishes all that he's going to accomplish and the kingdom is, has arrived, that they were each going to have a special position, that all 12 of them would have a special position. And so here's this mom going, okay, if they're going to be, uh, have this special uh, 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 position, can my sons have the best two seats? And then we see, uh, obviously the sons of Zebedee, we said is, is John and James, that's easy. But did you know that this mom was probably Jesus' aunt? Salome is what, 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 what history records as her name. And it's, it's probably Jesus' aunt, history records. And we see this in, in John 19.25, just before this. Uh, I mean, sorry, in another uh, gospel account at the end of John. We see that a standing by the cross of Jesus, Jesus dying on the cross. You ever wonder who was there watching? Well, it says, standing by the cross of Jesus were his mother, right, Mary... His mother's sister, that's her, probably. Mary, the wife of Clopas, and Mary Magdalene. A scripture also places this, uh, this, this mother, this probable aunt of, uh, uh, of Jesus, at the cross and at the tomb. At the empty tomb. So, so here we see Jesus' aunt and his cousins then are walking amongst these others... And you might see that maybe she had a little bit of an attitude of entitlement. Maybe there was a little privilege that she expected. Hey, these are just guys that you've followed you. This is blood. Can they sit at your right and at your left? But what does Jesus tell them? You don't know what you're asking. You don't yet understand how things work in the kingdom of God if you're asking these things. And I don't think that Jesus is mad at her. And she is a very prominent figure in the story and and in Jesus' ministry. And so were John and James. James was the first to be martyred, and John was the the, the one who wrote the Gospel of John. These these ended up being big players, uh, all of them. I don't think Jesus was bummed at them, but he uses it as a teachable moment. And I would say the teachable moment for us, Remembrance Community Church, is this. Because we have decided to follow Jesus, we should be the most humble people on the planet and the most confident people on the planet, resulting in people with servants' hearts. And so let's unpack these things and see how they connect with this story. And the first one in your notes is this. What does it look like to be God's humble people? What does it look like to be God's humble people? C.S. Lewis once wrote that humility is not thinking less of yourself, but thinking of yourself less. It's not about self-deprecation, right? It's not about, about, oh, I'm so horrible. I'm not very good. It's not about a low self-esteem. That's not what humility is. Matter of fact, if that's where you're at, you spend a lot of time thinking about yourself. Maybe too much. Maybe the answer is to be others focused. It's to think of yourself less, to think of others less. And so humility is this this thing where where it allows us to think of others uh, 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 first. Can you rejoice when other people succeed? Is it okay when someone is better at you at the thing that you do? Right? I'm okay with looking at a motorcycle jumper who does a great jump, but what about in the fire service, someone who does exactly what I do, and they're better than me? Am I okay with that? Do I have humility? Am I able to rejoice with those who rejoice and those who succeed? Do you always have to be the best? Do you constantly need praise from others? And not that affirmation isn't a great thing. We should give a lot of affirmation. But do you, how do you do when people don't recognize what you do? And it kind of exposes our hearts a little bit, right? Are we doing it for the praise? Or are we just doing it? And why should we be the most humble people on the planet, do you think, as believers? Well, A, we are saved by grace alone. This is the, this is the gospel, We're saved by grace alone. And in our American culture, we are taught to be very individualistic in our thoughts. We like to earn everything. We like to be independent. We don't like to depend on someone else. We don't like to get a trophy for something we know we didn't do. Right? Unless you're a millennial and you play soccer. Right? But we're saved by grace alone. And this is a tough thing for us to rectify as Western thinkers. That, like it says in, Paul says in Ephesians 2.8, And I says, for you are saved by grace through faith. And this is not from yourselves. It is a gift from God, not from works, so that no one can boast. We should be the most humble people on the planet because we did not earn our salvation. We did not earn our position in the kingdom of God. We did not earn anything. It was given to us by grace. And as Jesus says, it's for the father to figure that stuff out of of what your position is going to be. Even what your gifts might be and your role might be in this church. That's for the father to decide. Just be thankful you get to be a part of this thing. Just be thankful that you get to be a part of God's kingdom. It's humility. You have nothing to prove. You're accepted as you are. And you're now completely free to live for God's glory alone. This is humility. And we believe that God's grace is enough for us. Humility is stirred up when we realize God's grace is enough for us. And Paul later says in 2 Corinthians 12, 9, he says, I I had this issue that was going on with me. It was specifically about his eyes. And he goes, I prayed three times that God would take this issue away from me because it was really hindering me from doing what I thought God had called me to do in the mission field. And he said, "But, (laughs) but, but God said to me, my grace is sufficient for you, Paul. For my power is perfected in your weakness. In other words, God will use you right where you're at, as you are. You don't need to be like that guy or that girl. You need to be you. God wants to use you, and his grace is sufficient for you. And it's actually perfected in your weakness. It's perfected in who you are. He's able to use you perfectly as is. And not that he doesn't want you to keep growing and me to keep growing. We should want to keep growing. We're all in process. The process has a purpose. But but, but we don't need to get there in order to be loved. We don't need to get there right now. We need to go through one step at a time in order to get there. And God's involved with all of that. And when we start trying to be somewhere that we're not or be someone that we're not, humility dies. And we become competitive. And we think that the kingdom of God is a competition. And that's exactly what happens with John and James. Okay, there's these 12 guys. And you see in the Gospels, they're always like, Peter and and, and John are are racing each other. They're running, like, literally. And John's like, oh, yeah. We're going to tell you that time when me and Peter uh, raced. And I won, by the way, right? They're competitive. They're dudes. And now, these gruff, studly dudes get their mom, (laughs) go ask Jesus if they can have the best position. Because on this earth, the best position is the best position. But in the kingdom of God, every position is the best position as long as it's the one God gave you. And they don't get it. And we probably don't get it. And so we need to listen to these things. Jesus said, in essence, that's how the world acts. It should not be so amongst you. We should be the most humble and the most confident people on the planet. And so let's look a little bit in your notes at the confidence of being God's people. What does it look like to be confident As God's people. And there's a huge difference between being confident and being cocky. Right? There's a huge difference between being confident and being full of yourself. There's a big difference between being confident and being a phony. Trying to be somebody you're not. Trying to prove yourself with with every action. With everything that you do. With everything that you wear. With everything. With every decision. Christian confidence is all about knowing whose you are. It's not about who you are. It's not about the position that you have. Christian confidence is not about who you are. It's about whose you are. And There's a huge difference. Why should we be confident? I don't know if you guys have, might want to do this this week and do a word study. You can just Google Bible verses about confidence. There is so many. There is a ton of verses about being confident. I just want to give you a couple that kind of just whet your appetite as you dig into this maybe this this week a little bit. Uh, The first thing is this. We should be confident because the Bible teaches us that God fights our battles when we put our faith in him. There was a, a king in, in Judah named Hezekiah. He was one of the few good kings in the southern kingdom. And in 2 Chronicles 32, 8 it records this. There's a Assyrian army coming to, to beat them. All the people are freaking out because Judah is now a small and weakened version of itself. Assyria is a growing large, in the news all the time, brutal brutal and powerful nation. And they have sent word. We're coming to take you next. How do you think the people are feeling? They're scared. What does Hezekiah say to build their confidence? This is exactly what he says. He goes, he, the king of Assyria, has only human strength, but we have the Lord, our God to help us and to fight our battles So the people replied on the words of King Hezekiah of Judah. The confidence comes from whose you are, not who you are. Who your God is, not how bad your circumstances is. Right? That's my grammar for the day. The second one is this, that God has an open door policy and he is open 24-7. Did you know that? Look at Ephesians 3, 8 through 12. It says, this grace was given to me, Paul is saying. Remember he talked about that in 2 Corinthians, that God gave me the grace that I needed to get through. He goes, well, this grace has been given to me the least of all the saints. Doesn't that sound like a little bit of humility? I'm a nobody. That's Paul. If Paul feels like he's a nobody, just trying to point everybody to somebody, shouldn't we be humble like that? And I'm the least of the saints to proclaim to the Gentiles the incalculable riches of Christ and to shed light for all about the administration of the mystery hidden for ages in God who created all things. In other words, that's a lot of words, but he's just saying, look, God has been giving me the grace that I need and the love that I need. And I'm just trying to shine that to the unbelievers, the Gentiles. That's my mission. It's all he's saying right here. And he goes... This is so that God's multifaceted wisdom may now be made known through the church to the rulers and authorities in heaven. This is according to his eternal purpose accomplished in Christ Jesus our Lord. The eternal purpose of God was to use God's people to shine who God is to the world, even those who don't know him. That's what this is saying. But then look how he ends this in verse 12. In him... We have boldness and confident access through faith in Him. Through Him, we have boldness and confidence. Anyone need boldness and confidence? Not to go do it yourself, but because you have access to the Father. And through that, you have access to the Son. And through that, you have access to the Holy Spirit. And through that, you have access to all the riches of the kingdom of God. All the resources to the kingdom of God. And it's an open-door policy. It never closes. Look in Psalm uh, one four. It talks about God. It says, indeed, the protector of Israel does not slumber or sleep. You ever like need to text somebody and you're like, oh, but it's pretty late. Right? <laughs> God is, it's never too late. It's never too early. It's never the wrong time. He's always there. Whatever you're going through, whenever you're going through it, you have access to the God who created the universe. We talked about this a few weeks ago. I'm not a science nerd. I'm just a regular nerd. But I don't know if you think that Pluto is a planet or not. I don't really care. But back in the early 1900s, they discovered this planet named Pluto. And I forget how far away it is, but you know, like the earth orbits around the sun and then the solar, all the planets orbit around the sun and Pluto's the farthest one away, whether it's a planet or not, it orbits around the sun. I do know that. And this, this, the earth goes around the sun all the time, right? Guess how many times since in the, in the 20s, uh, Pluto has, has gone around the sun. That's how far away it is. Not even once yet. That's how far away it is. Over 200 years. Thank you. Now I am a science nerd, I guess. Now I know that. Thank you. That's good. Do You do not be sorry for, for adding to our story. I love it. And the point is, think about how small our galaxy is compared to all of the universe. The God that created all of that will listen to you. I mean, have you guys ever had like your TV break and you try to call somebody... And you just get a recording, or they put you on hold forever. If if they won't, you're not important. You think if 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 somebody like you know famous called them, they would do that to them? And yet, the God who created all of the universe answers every time. He picks up the phone every time. He doesn't let it ring. He's it doesn't even have to ring. He's like, oh, I already knew you were going to call because I'm God, right? And all I'm saying is that should give us confidence. And here's the thing. And God is working in and through you. Any of you guys ever feel like you're not good enough? You're right. (laughs) But that's not what your confidence is built in. You will never be good enough. It is a futile misnomer. There is no good enough. There is no destination called good enough. It's something that the enemy puts in your mind to chase. It's chasing your tail. There's just Jesus. You'd never be good enough. And so Jesus came and he died on a cross and he gave you his righteousness. It's all you need. That's what you need. And he's going to meet you right where you're at. God loves you just the way that you are. And he loves you so much. He's not going to let you stay that way. He's going to keep working on you. You are going to make it. You are going to make it, not because you read the right book, not because you do the right thing, not because you accomplish your goals. You are going to make it because God has called you into his family, has a plan for your life. And it says you can be confident of this, that he who began a good work in you will be faithful to complete it till the day of Christ Jesus. Philippians one six. There's a lot of confidence stirring in these words, amen. So don't make your aim to be be better than others. Don't try to keep up with the Joneses. And that doesn't mean that you shouldn't have goals and pursue excellence. It doesn't mean that that God won't give you dreams and you shouldn't chase those dreams. It doesn't mean you shouldn't work hard. You should do all of those things. It doesn't mean that you shouldn't have success. Pursue success. Use it all for the glory of God if that's what God calls you to. But if you have billions of dollars, you're no better in God's eyes than if you had a penny. That's not why you should do those things. To prove yourself. To earn Favor to be somebody its an empty pursuit. It's an empty pursuit. I just want to be His. And I am. And therefore, I should be the most humble person on the planet because He gave it to me as a gift. And I should be the most confident person on the planet because He gave it to me as a gift. And Jesus is like That's how the world thinks. But it should not be so amongst you. Jesus has already chosen them. Jesus has already affirmed them. Jesus has already told them that they have a place in the kingdom. Just said that one chapter earlier. The question is, why wasn't that enough? Why wasn't that enough? What's going on in their hearts, in their minds, in their circumstances? Why wasn't that enough? What more do you need in order to be confident? Do you need more forgiveness? He's already forgiven you of all sins, past, present, and future. Do you need more affirmation? You are a child of the living God. And he loves you. We learned last week that the father loves you as much as the father loves Jesus. Do you think that's a lot? That's a super big a lot. Do you need more position? Do you need a bigger house? Do you need a cooler car? Do you need more obedient kids who are better at sports and smarter on the academic scale? Do you, what do you need? More accomplishments? We don't need anything else. We've been given everything that we need. And we should be the most humble people on the planet. And we should be the most confident people on the planet. And then lastly, we learn that there ain't no shame in the servant game. So the context here is that Jesus, he says, when they ask, he goes, you do not know what you're asking. You you don't yet understand how the kingdom of God works. And specifically, he asks them, he goes, "Uh, can you drink the cup? Now, the cup in scripture often refers to what's coming in your life, your appointed destiny. He goes to John and James, he goes, can you drink the cup? They go, yeah. I can. In their mind, they think, gee, we're walking to Jerusalem. We're going we're gonna to f- gather an army. We're going to go take over the Roman government. And we're going we're gonna to whoop some tush. And we're going to win. And then the kingdom of God is going to be restored. And Jesus is going to be the king. We want to be the ones on the right and the left, they think. Right? And they think, can you drink the cup? Can you meet this appointed? Yeah, we'll fight with you, is what they're saying. We'll fight to the death for you. That's not what I'm asking you. He goes, you will drink my cup. You don't know what you're asking. You will drink my cup. He had a plan for James's life. James was the first to get martyred, and then he went to glory. John was the one of the disciples who did not get martyred, although they tried to boil him one time, and he lived. I don't know if it would be better to die after that or live, but he lived and he wrote the Gospel of John. And he had a different plan for John's life. And they were both important. You will drink my cup. You will follow the plan I have for you. But the fa- let the Father deal with the rest of it, is what he says, right? And there ain't no shame in the servant game. And we'll have the worship team come back up. In our world, the servant is often the one with the lowest contextual value, Right? At I, I, uh, the fire station, the rookie does the coffee, the flags, and then when you go on a call and there's a mess to be, a room to go in that doesn't smell very good or whatever, and someone's got to go in. When a fire hydrant gets sheared, water's shooting everywhere, you have to literally get under that, you know. It's like when you go to uh, Seaside Lagoon when you're a kid and all that water's running on you. It's, you know, at 2 in the morning, it's not fun when you're 43. So you send the rookie. Rookie, where are you, Right? Who's going to do it? One, two, three, not it, right? Because the servant is the one who's the lowest on the totem pole. That's our culture. And you don't want to be the servant, right? If you live behind the wall and the gate on the hill, whatever (laughs) hill that is, that's the high position. And then you have enough money and then you don't have to wash your car, do all the things, right? You hire people to do that. The servant is the lower on the totem pole. And yet Jesus, he goes, in verse 26, he goes, On the contrary, whoever wants to be great amongst you must be a servant. And whoever wants to be first among you must be your slave. And just as the Son of Man did not come to serve, but to, to, to be served, but to serve, and to give his life as a ransom for many. And so we learn that deciding to follow Jesus is a call to serve. To be humble servants. And to be confident servants. It's a a call to be, when you're a humble servant, there's no task too small that you'd be willing to do, right? There's no task that's too small. And guess what? When you're a confident servant, there's no task that's too big. And so whatever God calls you to do as a humble servant, you're there. God's got you. You're willing. If you're going to do that, that doesn't, it doesn't mean that you're lower on the totem pole. Jesus says it means you're the one that gets it the most. One of our aims at Remembrance is to engage people with friendship, service, and the gospel. In light of our, 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 our voting membership party, which is happening next Sunday, 4 to 6, our voting members celebration, which you guys should all come to, I just want to get the, the party started. Um, this year, I saw Bernadette Madden. She, 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 we, we were teaching, uh, engage your community with friendship, service, and the gospel. She went out and started this thing called Create Community Classes. Some of you guys went to it. She had dance classes that were free. She had, in the park, a, a boot camp. It didn't end up uh, totally taking off. But the intention was, let's engage our community with friendship, service, and the gospel. That was the point. And then when that kind of fizzled out and she had a lot of other things going on, she didn't give up on it. She went over to a boogie zone, which is a dance studio in in Old Torrance, and started going to classes there to engage the people with friendship, service, and the gospel. And she started to meet these people. She met the owner, and she realized he needs some help. This summer, she's organizing a work day, which we're all going to be a part of. We're going to go over there. We're going to paint and do all kinds of stuff there because we want to engage our community with friendship, service, and the gospel. And the only reason that we're able to do that is because Bernadette heard the word preach, engage your community with service, got, uh, uh, friendship, service, and the gospel, and she said, okay. And she did it. There was an anonymous giver recently. I, I don't know who you are. You might be in this room, you might not be, but gave a significant sum of money to a single mom in our congregation just anonymously. Just to serve. They didn't even want anyone to know who it was. Jeremiah and Elena, I'm going to call you guys out. I, I love watching Facebook for one reason. I love watching when pe- what people are doing. And it blessed my heart so bad. They're, they're, they're looking, and I'm looking at Elena's story, and I see that they had invited over, and they're sitting right behind them, right? Peter and Katie. And they go over to their house. Because they want to be hospitable, they want to connect. Part of being hospitable is opening yourself up to relationship. And they did that, because they wanted to be servants. They did that. Sam and Chris, they host our uh, Sam, they host our community group, and they, they renovated their house across the street. Here's what I noticed about their house when I went there. They have the biggest front porch on the block. And it has a table on the front. And with all these things. And then they built a wall uh, so the kids in the neighborhood and their, and their grandkids could play in their neighborhood. And they could be a part of their neighborhood. I'm not hiding behind the walls. I'm out in the living. And they spend most of their time out there. That's intentionality. That's intentionality. Because they want to they live this stuff. And so as we prepare to worship this God who is worthy. Let's just begin to ask him to make us more humble. Amen? Amen? Any of you guys need more humility? It's kind of like, that's, that's a fun one, right? If you raise your hand, then you, you're admitting it. If you don't raise your hand, everyone else knows it. Right? How many of you guys need more confidence? Myself included. Man, I need some confidence. Where are we going to get it? oh yeah from the God we're worshiping thank you for listening to Remembrance Community Church podcast you can find all our weekly sermons online at remembrancecommunity.org forward slash sermons thank you for listening